The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rotoro Football Show, where today, Danny Carter and I, you may know him as CD Carter 13 on X, will be previewing <laughs> the AFC East with the help of NBC Sports Boston's Phil Perry. You can guess which team he is talking about. And NBC's own Connor Rogers, who is a New York Jets expert. I said NBC's own. Phil is also NBC's own. We're all NBC's own. We are. We, we, NBC. we, we are all of the Peacock. We are all of the Peacock. Our boss is Jack Donaghy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Connor is going to be joining us about the 20-minute mark. Phil, around the 40-minute mark, if all goes according to plan, he's on Bill Belichick time, we have been informed. Yes, which well, is Bill, sounds like an awful time, by the way. It is an awful, awful time. We're going to talk about the, the Bills and Dolphins to begin the show, but first, Denny... You did want to talk about Carson Wentz just being down horrendously, like <laughs> as horrendously as anyone I've ever seen in my entire life. Tell the people about it. <laughs> this, I don't even think there's a level of down bad that can, can that can encapsulate what's happening with Carson Wentz, who tried out yesterday, worked out, I guess, for interested teams. I don't know who was there exactly, but he was wearing a, a commander's jersey, a, a, a an Eagles helmet and Colts shorts. So yes. he was what he was doing, Pat, is he was reminding anyone who had forgotten that he's been uh, spat out by three different franchises. Of all the teams he has failed with, and he, you know, he badly wants – so one thing inevitably signs, I think it's – does he add like one of those like elbow sleeves for his fourth yeah. team? So yeah. I got my Falcons elbow sleeve here, <laughs> and – yeah, sure. I got beaten out by Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke, but not here to talk about the past. But I, but I got another job. team on me, buddy. Got another team. I used, to, I used what, to be an elite quarterback, and now I'm working out in multiple teams' gear. It's insane. This guy's like 30 and can't even get a backup job. And he was going to win an MVP award in the year he 2017. Was. He was People on the forget. way. I, I, by the way, I was when I tweeted about him being down unimaginably bad. <laughs> I mean, nightmarishly. There's no. It is work, nightmare. Right? I mean, it is just like Lynchian level bad. Like this is like a, a fever dream in a David Lynch movie. Um, okay, so someone actually did mention that Tim Anderson, uh, the White Sox player who got knocked out the other day, might be down worse at the moment. He is down a little worse. He um, is down a little, little worse. <laughs> he seems yeah. down. But anyway, when someone reminded me, and thank you for reminding me, 
But Carson Wentz not, is not down bad because Pat, he's rich. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> rich people famously never vain with fragile egos, no. never not hunting for any slight or feeling aggrieved at even the slightest hint of being challenged. Yeah, he made um, some money, man. What are you, you going to do about you it? You can't possibly be down bad if you have money. No. Um, <laughs> tell that to Howard Hughes. Right. Um, we, no, he's, he was never down bad. Sure, he was bottling his own urine, but he had money. Um, right. No idea. And, and so actually on. that was seen as eccentric, not incredibly weird and frightening. Do you think is are there any Zoomers who know who Howard Hughes are? There's zero him? zero people born before the year nineteen ninety uh, before after the year nineteen ninety who know who Howard. Has anyone born after the year nineteen ninety four seen The Aviator? By the way, the indelible Martin Scorsese uh, portrait of Howard Hughes. Uh, I, well, for, they would first have to hear of Martin Scorsese. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Oh. And then and then they could see his movies. Oh my gosh, Killers of the Flower Moon this fall only on Apple TV Plus, um, which is not us. So don't watch. Can it. we say that? No, we can't. <laughs> we can't say that. That was not a Universal co-production either, by the way. So don't see it. Yeah. Don't oh, I would it. never see it. Don't Kidding see me? it. Yeah. Don't see the Buffalo Bills for some reason because Bills Denny are kind of a narrow team. There's like. In some ways, there's not a lot going on with the Bills because it's mostly the same returning cast, but there is a lot going on with the Bills because we don't really know who they want the number two target to be. We don't really know how things are going to shake out after the Gabe Davis experiment. I don't know. It's tough to say it like failed, but kind of just failed in 2022. Who knows? I've joked a lot about it being only the ankle. Who knows how much that really affected Gabe Davis a season and maybe they can have convinced themselves they can run it back with him as the number two receiver. Yeah. They had a desperate need for a pass catcher. They missed out on the top receivers in the draft. So they went the galaxy brain route. They used a first round pick on the catch first tight end Dalton Kincaid, who you keep telling everyone has had one good game ever in his career. Mm-hmm. And just who is the number two target in this bill's offense? Is it Gabe Davis? Is it Kincaid? Is it someone totally random? And, do we care about a single pass catcher in fantasy beyond Stefan Diggs, beyond Gabe Davis, beyond Don Kincaid? What is going on with the Bills pass catchers? I don't I don't think that we care about any pass catcher uh, in the Buffalo offense besides the guys you named. Maybe Khalil, Khalil Shakir if Gabe Davis is either phased out or because of ineffectiveness or gets hurt, then Shakir becomes interesting. But I don't think you need to need to draft him. I, I want to just briefly talk about Gabe Davis because obviously I was on Gabe Davis hype train big time. Some say I drove it and I uh, drove it straight into a, uh, a mountain, which uh, didn't, didn't, didn't feel good. <laughs> it would explode. And I was not like Tom Cruise. I did not you, jump off. You died in a boiler fire. I just said, Oh man. And then it hit. Um, <laughs> so, you know, look, Gabe yeah. Davis, it was, it was bad, uh, he was 61st among wide receivers who ran at least 200 routes in targets per route run. Okay. So just really not really commanding targets, running a lot of routes, not seeing a lot of targets. And here's the the concerning thing is that uh, that's not new. So in 2021, he was 52nd, uh, f- uh, 51st in targets per route run. Uh, you know, so he, he's just not a guy who's going to see a ton of targets thankfully he runs a lot of routes so like last year he saw 93 targets which was second on the team by a huge margin behind Stefan Diggs um he's now going four to five rounds later than he was last summer which is something you know because look we we are we are emotional creatures right and once a player hurts us 
that sting, that sting stays, right? And we say, no, never again. But when you're talking about a four or five round discount from last summer, you've got to consider it. You do. You actually do. And I, Gabe, I just don't know. I, a guy who had always forced his way on the field, had always like done his job. He had not failed until last year, and then he he failed so spectacularly that it is hard. And it is weird, though. I mean, the Bills, I mean, it was probably salary cap related, but didn't make any effort to upgrade him. Nope. They did give him target competition and the catch first tight, the aforementioned catch first tight end, Dalton Kincaid. But you know, the Bills are running it back, unless like they're keeping a lid on like internal Khalil Shakir hype. But right. I don't think that's actually happening. It doesn't um, seem like it. No. Justin Shorter is a rookie with a Gabe Davis type profile. Maybe he could force his way onto the field. Maybe Trent Sherfield is somehow a thing. Um, could be a thing. Some hype. Yeah. Uh, could be, but Gabe Davis is going to be on the field a ton for a team that is always one of the pass heaviest in all situations. So not you know not just when uh, when in neutral game script, but even in positive game script, the Bills still pass quite a bit, kind of like the Chiefs, and that's good. I mean that 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 gives you some uh, you know semblance of a floor for a guy like Gabe Davis because he's going to be running so many routes. This is my long way of saying, I I think that he fits for like folks who are looking for like a wide receiver three or four at that point in the draft, uh, a guy you, you don't need to blow up every week, but certainly has, unless you want to push back here, has some uh, blow up potential on a given week. We just don't really know when that will be. No, no, he absolutely does. He, he should have a better year than he did last year. Yeah. Right? I, I think that's, that's absolutely in the cards. Yeah. The NFL season is very short. If you suffer an ankle injury in September, it's going to be a problem almost always through December. I, I, I'm, I, this is dangerously close to excuse making for Gabe Davis, but I would like to at least see him stay healthy for this season. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were drafting him. I was drafting him at his like ceiling, beyond his ceiling last year really in hindsight couldn't have gone well for me no matter what happened so uh that's not the case this year so you 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 definitely don't write him off even if he he hurt you in 2022 denny james cooks the rb29 on underdog we need to start using some more like normie adp but he's the rb29 damian harris is the rb40 damian harris is supposedly getting pushed really hard by latavius murray for this bill's early down roll um, do we have any – are we getting more and more comfortable with James Cook, basically, where we know he's not going to be like an every-down player, but is he starting to feel like pretty comfortable as a flex and maybe even pushing his way into the RB2 mix? Just, what are your thoughts on James Cook where it's just a little hard to know what to expect with the way he was used as a rookie and how the Bills have traditionally deployed their backfield, a.k.a. using two running backs? Right. So I guess the argument is, hey, the Bills pass a lot, which is true. And hey, the Bills split up their backfield work workload, which is also true generally. But we we have seen uh, a guy in Devin Singletary get a three down roll in that backfield, and it is so valuable for fantasy. So we saw uh, at the end of the 2021 regular season, uh, which is a long time ago, I know, but I'll just remind you what happened. Uh, no running back scored more fantasy points than Devin Singletary over the season's final four weeks. I know that's a small sample, but that was the only time of the season that he was actually the three down back. Okay. And yes, he scored four touchdowns in that four week stretch. That helps obviously, but he led the the entire league in running back pass routes over that stretch. Um, he was seeing 60% of the team's rushing attempts. And I believe that we, we, we have reason to believe that James Cook 
is an upgrade over Singletary. If James Cook gets that Singletary role eventually, I think he could be an enormous steal. Now, will he get it? I guess the haters would say no, if absolutely not, as Damian <laughs> Harris, whatever. But but what you said about Damian Harris being pushed by Latavius Murray, not a good that sign. makes that makes me think that James Cook might be in the clear. There were signs too that Damian Harris was maybe washed, quote unquote, with the Patriots. Hard to say with a guy who's so young and just completed his rookie contract, but took a lot of really, really like you know, like hard what's the word I'm looking for? Rugged touches for the Patriots. Yes. Kind of got yeah. chewed up and spit out by the Patriots and it's possible maybe his legs just aren't what they used to be and that they trust Latavius Murray to do like the little things more than Damian Harris or something. So sure. I think Damian Harris will still probably beat out Latavius Murray, but needless to say, he's not making any sort of push on, you're not seeing any reports like Damian Harris may have a larger role than people expected. It's the exact opposite. Which yeah. Is very and, good news for James Cook. And so it's like, so why, why did the Bills sign these big back uh, or big, bigger back types in Murray and, and Harris? I would think that it, it ties into the team's talk about Josh Allen not taking so, taking so many hits as a rusher, and I guess that would include at the goal line, which would be you know kind of a bummer for his fantasy prospects. Um, I, I do have some numbers here on Allen and and his and his rushing. Uh, last year, he set a career low for design rushes and a career high uh, for scrambling rushes, and so it seems like the team is living la vida loca. Try yeah, well, I mean, but they're but they're trying again. Career low for design rushes. So the team's not just saying, "Hey, Josh, take this ball and run headlong into the nearest defender." Um, I think they're aware, and I think that that could mean the bigger backs get that those goal line touches. You know, maybe James Cook sees some of that. Um, but James Cook, we have to remember, was a really really good pass catcher. Only three uh, three running backs in the entire league last year, two of whom were CMC and Eckler. Had a had a higher yards per route run uh, than than uh, James Cook. I mean, what if James Cook just became like a quasi every down back? That would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? And it would make it him would, a, a league winner. It, it yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, really, like this this Bills backfield is very valuable if you get the right guy. And in the sem- in the seventh round or whatever, I'm all right with James Cook. Yeah, Cook is a huge huge value right now. So. Quasi looking like maybe a league winner. Denny, you, Denny said that you heard it here first. <laughs> we'll be right back after this to talk about the Miami Dolphins and then welcome in NBC Sports Boston's Phil Perry to talk to New England Patriots. With the NFL season quickly approaching, now is the perfect time to get your Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Get ready for your draft and stay one step ahead of your league during the preseason with updated player rankings, profiles, projections, mock drafts, and more. Go to NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use promo code draft 2023 to save 20% off at checkout. That is NBCSports.com slash draft guide promo code draft 2023 to save 20% off. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge at DHL supply chain. You're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL supply chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL supply chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Danny, the Miami Dolphins are a team we're really, really excited about in fantasy football this year. But like, we're not talking about them much because there's just not much to debate. Like one of the league's narrowest target trees where Tyreek yeah. Hill and Jalen Waddell absorb massive target shares. And then beyond that, there's just not really anyone who's going to be seeing enough looks to be made. Am I correct with this? Is there not really another Dolphins pass catcher worth caring about beyond Tyreek and Jalen Waddell? I mean, you know, they're talking about like Braxton Berrios being the third receiver in the, in the rotation. I, the third receiver just doesn't matter here. I mean, last year, uh, Waddle and Hill combined for almost 60% of Miami's Man, targets and almost, so se- almost 70% of the air yards. Okay. So everything was being funneled to them. That was, I think that was very intentional. I don't think that that was just like a, we're waiting for a number three pass catcher to split it up here. I think that they, they those guys fit the model of what, of what Mike McDaniel wants to do, get, get the ball to really fast guys in space. Um, so I, I don't think we have to really worry too much about a third pass catcher here. Um, I will say that there is some there. Jalen Waddle's profile from last year, yeah, makes me a little nervous about taking him in like the the end of the second round. It just it's a it's a little it was a little bit fortunate last year on on several metrics and and I don't know if I can if I can do that now third round maybe, but I don't know if I can do Waddle in the second. Maybe he can just overcome that though with. Blunt force targets, which has been, if you're going to beat inefficiency or good luck, like you, don't, which you know you don't run back good luck. Like he had some of that, like you said, uh, just like overawing volume is a good way to do that, and he he yeah. should have that in 2023. So like like Waddle is going around Devonte Smith, uh, Garrett Wilson. Uh, you know, Chris Olave. I think I'd rather have all those guys. Over. I would actually rather have him than all those guys. Really? Um, oh, even Olave? I just feel like the target share is so ridiculously strong for Jalen Waddle, And in an offense that knows how to scheme big plays, and like a lot of those guys are in new situations, an offense we've already seen in action. We know how it works. Um, they all, all three of those guys you mentioned have really high upside. I actually think Jalen Waddle has like the fewest question marks of that group, so – so, uh, by the way, when when Tua was healthy last year, this Dolphins offense was dominant, like like Kansas City esque. They were uh, often top three or top five in EPA per play when Tua was under center and, and healthy. They're actually leading the league in EPA per play when he suffered his first concussion last year. So, just just from like a zoomed out standpoint, this Dolphins offense has a, a ton ton to offer, and so. I wouldn't blame you if you said I'm. I don't care. I'm getting Waddle. I'm getting that number two receiver in this offense. I, I'm. That's me. It. 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 Me. I'm not. I'm not going to scream at you about it. Not on air it, anyway. Yeah, not on air. Danny always screams at me off air. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. Makes all of our producers 
very, very uncomfortable, Denny. Um, yeah. So actually, you know what? We've been wanting to confront you about it. We're just going to do it right now. <laughs> it's, Adam, it's not come on, come on, it's not show. appropriate the way you treat me off the air. Denny, is there a Dolphins running back you actually want to draft? Oh, I was excited about Devin A. Shane when it was like more theoretical in the offseason. Like, sure, he's five foot four, and I have no idea how they're going to use him. But now that like we're actually drafting, and it, it's hard to get excited. I mean, because we just we don't know how they're going to be deployed. I mean, Jeff Wilson could have a much bigger role than expected. Raheem Mostert, I mean, Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson could get left off their final roster. I feel like I don't think that will happen. I just feel like almost anything is in play here with this running back core. Are there any Dolphins running backs you actually want to draft? Uh, so you have uh, – sorry, there's a bug that almost went over my camera. Um, uh, no, not really, uh, but I will I will try some Jeff Wilson. I know I know you love some Jeff Wilson. I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Jeff Wilson showed that, like, if he's able to be – to stay somewhat healthy, which is a huge question mark with him and Raheem Mostert, um, that he can thrive in this system. Also, the Dolphins were a pretty rush-friendly team last year from an efficiency standpoint. They didn't do it a whole lot, uh, but they were not bad at it. Um, and they have they have a pretty, you know, when healthy, they have a pretty good offensive line, open up some holes. I, I tend to I tend to lean toward Jeff Wilson uh, in that group. Do you have De- – Devin A. Shane, is, like someone you're, is he someone you're even considering drafting? Because – Dolphins didn't have a lot of draft capital. They used some of their very precious draft capital then on Devin A. Shane. They seem like they definitely want like more playmaking ability or big plays out of their backfield. We also know he's from the Mike McDaniels from the Kyle Shanahan system of coaching where like they don't just give reps to running backs. They make them earn it on the field. Like, do we this Devin A. Shane, can you justify him being on fantasy teams basically? I mean, he's going as running back 41, so it's not a huge asking price. But I see other guys around that area who intrigue me more, and it doesn't take, it take a whole lot to intrigue me more, apparently, because I'm looking at Jarek <laughs> McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon and saying, that intrigues me more than, than uh, Devin A. Shane. Uh, you, also have, uh, you also have, like, well, eh, later on the other Dolphins backs go, but Rashad Penny, uh, who I think has a clear path to upside there in that area, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, I, so I, I don't feel compelled to take A. Shane. They, they talk about the Dolphins talk about A. Shane like you do when you don't really know what to do with a player. Um, he's a weapon. Like we're going to use him all over the place. Like uh, all right, that doesn't. <laughs> that's not good. That's not good when you when you're going to use a guy all over the place. You're not. They're not going to. By the way, he's going to be lined up with running back all the time when he's on the field. Devin A. Shane hasn't been like getting criticized in Dolphins camp, but he hasn't been generating like any hype, by the no. way, which no. some people must say, oh, who cares, man? Like, like he, if he was doing cool stuff in practice, he would be getting hyped by the media and even the coaching staff. So it is, it's been a bit concerning. I have not seen like any tweets, very few like notebook nuggets on Devin A. Shane. And I do think it speaks to what you said. Where they, just, they think he, they thought he was cool in principle, but they're just not sure how to use him. Yeah, uh, I mean, he strikes me as a fancy, fancy kind of running back. You know, like like people would cite his metrics, like he's super fast, and and that doesn't that doesn't do anything for me. I'm sorry, I don't I don't care if uh, if a guy's fast. Oh, he is very very fast though. Okay, I mean, <laughs> you know, so so when he gets one end around that that he takes for forty yards, that's awesome. 
No, that's, that's amazing. amazing. That's amazing. And then, and then he won't see the field again for two and a half quarters. You know what else is amazing is NBC Sports' is Connor Rogers. He's going to be with us right after this to talk about the New York football Jets. But first, a word from our sponsors, who are us. There is no better place to be in Boston on a Sunday morning than legendary Fenway Park. See if the Red Sox can close the gap for the second wild card spot when they host the Tigers at 11.30 a.m. Eastern on MLB leadoff, only on Peacock. Stream the action live. Again, that is exclusively on Peacock. And do not forget, find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. Daniel Red Sox took it on the chin over the weekend. They got swept by the Blue Jays. Were you, I know. You actually I do know. know? Really? I know. I don't know. Are you kidding me? Um, my, so my, know, Oriole, my Orioles are still leading the East, right? Uh, yes, they are, actually. The Love Rays my are hanging around. But Denny doesn't know anything about the Boston Red Sox. Connor Rogers knows a lot about the New York Jets. Connor, how are you doing? And um, yeah, I, I was trying. <laughs> I was actually blank. I was. I want to say check out Connor on the Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry, which is now back and airing daily. Connor, how you doing? I'm good, guys. What's going on? Not much. We're just here to talk about the New York Jets. No one else has done that this off season. Yeah. Where no, is the media? No, nobody ever. Nobody ever asked me about the Jets. It's really weird. So, yeah, where is everybody the... talks about the Mets demise, but nobody talks about the Jets. That's true. I actually maybe should ask you about the Mets demise when we get to the Jets. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, it didn't go the way you were planning, did it, Connor? Um, or, no. Or, or were you secretly pessimistic the entire time, like any real Mets fan? Well, we always have that little bit underneath us, right? I mean, that's how you live. But um, you know what? I was, I'll was i say this. If you're going to be bad, be really, really bad. So you at least go into full sell mode and get something back rather than – and this is me talking myself into it. It's true. The yeah. false hope of so many teams that just do nothing at the deadline and then absolutely screw up and don't make the playoffs. So that was the littlest glass half full I have for the Mets right now. Denny Connor is referencing the Mets traded two future Hall of Fame pitchers and paid $88 million then to get three prospects in return. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they are really crazy. good prospects, but it is a very crazy situation. Not as crazy as it is around the New York Jets where the entire tenor has changed. Aaron Rodgers is in town as the latest savior, which I say derisively because we know a, a, there's a new Jet savior like every year or two, uh, but this guy has the – if you're going to have a savior, it should probably be an inner ring Hall of Famer like Aaron Rodgers, the most compelling addition the New York Jets have made to the coaching staff, to the roster in years. And kind of all to start with like a very, very softball question, but just how has like the attitude and the mood changed around this team, which it was good last year. The Jets like felt ahead of schedule last year until the very dismal end of the season where they kind of fell back on schedule. Just how have things changed now with the roster that was already close and now has a very old future entering Hall of Famer, but the best quarterback they've had in just forever. Yeah, I mean, what they told themselves and convinced themselves last year was that they were a quarterback away, right? And, you know, depending on how far that would take them, but they felt like they were at least a playoff team with a quarterback. And I think that's pretty easy to buy into when you look at the shortcomings of whether it was Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco to start out the season, uh, Joe Flacco to come in at a really bad part of the season, Mike White, who, you know, obviously piled on the stats against what was left of the Bears defense, but a guy that also is is injury prone and had to go down as well and, you know, can get you through some stretches, but also is not a sustainable long term starter. And even Chris Strebler on the hilarious Thursday night football game against uh, Jacksonville. So I think that that's why there's so much confidence or at least everybody feels to be a little bit more at ease knowing that 
when things go wrong here or there, it could be, you know, an injury to the defense. It could be down a wide receiver. The offensive line goes through a lot of injuries again. At least you know that you have under center a guy that's been through basically every single scenario that can at times win you a game. I don't think the Jets want to put Aaron Rodgers in a situation at this age where he's always winning them the game. They are still a team that has spent a ton of money and a ton of draft picks and hired a head coach to build a defense. And to Robert Sala's credit, that's been a success. The defense was really good last year on the backs of a lot of young players um, and a lot of those acquisitions that were brought in throughout that regime. But now it's time for the offense to catch up because as we know with football guys in this era, you just, you're not going to make it to forget the Super Bowl, a conference championship by just running the ball and playing defense. It's not the era we're in anymore. And the Jets knew that. And instead of, you know, going for a middling option like a Derek Carr or trading for a Ryan Tannehill, they took the big swing and they're ready to see how it works. Connor, has Aaron Rodgers, by the way, kind of been like as advertised in Jets camp? Is the feeling like, yeah, okay, wow, this is Aaron Rodgers and like, not like, oh, I don't know, maybe last year wasn't a fluke with, you know, the decline we saw after the back-to-back MVPs. Is the feeling around the team that like, all right, this is Aaron Rodgers, like this really is for real? Yeah, I think so. I, I think the reason, because one, uh, the Jets are really young in a lot of areas, especially, you know, like a Garrett Wilson, like a Brees Hall, where they look at Aaron Rodgers and to them, it was kind of more legend to them a bit where then they see him and they actually get to watch how he operates. And, you know, it takes them a couple of days to be like, oh, wow, this is actually our quarterback. This is our teammate, not just a guy I'm watching from afar anymore. And then I think for Rodgers, this is well documented, whatever was going on in Green Bay, and there seemed to be a lot there, friction with the front office, um, not always having much of a say on personnel decisions and uh, you know problems beyond that. Sometimes you just need a fresh start. I think people just can't oh, go out and say that sometimes. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're just unhappy at a workplace and you just want a fresh start. And Rodgers is motivated in a way that it's it feels like it's been a little bit since I would say, but right before the MVPs, right? He's in shape. He's in really, really good shape. He's and it's not just in shape of like cool, best shape of his life, the classic BS. It's the fact that he looks good. He looks physically very impressive in camp. It's funny for the Jets because I think things are being judged on watching the years of Darnold and, you know, obviously Zach and Joe Flacco and all these other guys at camp. And then you go to Aaron Rodgers. So even if it's 90 or 80% of the regular Aaron Rodgers, it's going to look really, really good. So I think that plays into, you know, how much he's taken over training camp at times as well. But I think the most important perspective for the Jets and real football and for fantasy football is the fact that Garrett Wilson has all the talent in the world to be a top eight wide receiver in this league. That much is clear. We saw it when he was an offensive rookie of the year last year with pretty much nothing at quarterback. And Rodgers is a guy that likes to lean on premium talent, especially the play style of Garrett Wilson. Rodgers has even alluded a couple times uh, to the play style of Devontae Adams, the way they can get off the line of scrimmage, the way they can separate, the way they can make acrobatic catches in the air. So I think that bodes really well for everybody involved on that side of things. And there's already a comfort level between them, even why Garrett Wilson's been dealing with a minor ankle injury um, and the entire offense as a whole. They just feel like an adult is in the room, in charge, in command, and that they can lean on him when everybody's heads are spinning a little bit. And that was something they weren't able to do last year in camp and unfortunately trickled into the regular season. Yeah, Connor, you basically just answered my next question, but I'll kind of rephrase to it. You mentioned Garrett Wilson several times. You mentioned like Aaron Rodgers not really having a say in the personnel in Green Bay. At least that was our understanding of it. Uh, one of the biggest offseason storylines with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets was that he was getting 
like all the say in the personnel. And they brought over Alan Lazard. They brought over Randall Cobb, right? I was just wondering if yeah, I, he's, he's hanging I, around there. I was just wondering if I actually, that was like a fever dream. They brought over Randall Cobb. It seemed like he wanted them to sign Michael Hardman. So he brought in so many of his guys, even though like you said, Garrett Wilson should be the guy. He's far and away the most talented receiver, reigning offensive rookie of the year. Is this looking like you kind of said that it is, is this looking like hopefully the match made in heaven that fantasy managers are expecting it to be between Garrett Wilson and Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, he's just too good, right? At some point, the talent – oh, I mean, let's go back a year ago, right? Or even, you know, about a year ago. The Jets get to week one. They play the Ravens. They – the first half, they're just – they're putting Lawrence Cager out there. They're playing a ton of tight ends. Garrett Wilson's barely on the field. And then some of the plays he makes with the five five snaps he gets in very limited, you know, action in the first half, they're like, oh, my God, this guy's awesome. He has to be on the field. And the rest was kind of history, which is – Dumb that it is, and probably wasn't really the best of looks for Mike LaFleur at the time that yeah. it takes that to get there. But I think Rogers, you know, say what you want about him, he definitely has the uh, the experience and the brain to know who's a really talented wide receiver. And he's picked up on that with Garrett Wilson immediately. And they're going to lean on Garrett Wilson immediately. When you look at the signing of Lazard, it's a nice number two ish guy to have that does a lot of the dirty work blocking is it the Jets didn't have a lot of size in this group. So they wanted a bigger body target. They held on to Corey Davis, ironically. So we'll see how Corey Davis kind of fits in, fits in the mold as a number three ish player, along with Nicole Hardman, who gives them a little speed. You brought up Randall Cobb, you know, kind of a forgotten man because he's all the way at the back end of the depth chart, especially when you look at a guy like Jason Brownlee, an undrafted free agent, um, just having a phenomenal OTAs and then carried over into a phenomenal training camp and caught two back-to-back catches before Izzy Abanacanda's touchdown in the Hall of Fame game. So Brownlee really making a push to make the roster now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just Garrett Wilson's show. I think this offense will be funneled through Garrett Wilson like the Green Bay offense was with Devontae Adams in 2020. Um, and when you just look at how talented he is, you know, it's not just – in between the 20s, it's not just yards after the catch, but I think he'll really lean on him in the red zone too, which just makes him an entirely different beast. That They'll spread the ball around, the three different tight ends they have and the depth wide receivers they have, but Garrett Wilson's the star of the offense, especially why Brees Hall is not 100% out of the gate. So, Connor, are, are we looking at Lazard as the wide receiver too to, to start the season, or, or do you think someone else can emerge, someone like Corey Davis? I think it'll be Lazard, and I think so much of that goes into the fact that they really want him on the field, not just for pass catching, but also as a legitimate blocker playing really tight to the line of scrimmage. I think that's a huge aspect of signing him for Hackett's offense and what they want to do. And besides the trust factor with Rodgers and the fact that those two like playing with each other, I think there's a a gritty aspect to Lazard's game that you do like you're wasting Garrett Wilson's time. If you want him to do that, you're, you know, you're wasting the call. Yeah. Like you're not asking (laughs) Nicole Hardman to do that. You're, you're not really asking Tyler Conklin to do that. Honestly, Conklin, maybe because he's this big, long haired tattooed tight end. (laughs) People think he's like this inline guy. He's not a blocker at all. He's a good pass catcher. That's what he is. So they don't want Conklin to do that. Usama has been banged up a lot. I think Ruckert actually probably gets more playing time eventually than Usama. And he's a, He's a blocker of a, a bit of a blocking tight end at times. So, yeah, it's is it sexy and appealing for fantasy? That Lazard, Corey Davis, McCole Hardman trio where they're probably used in different roles and different packages? Probably not. But if you have to pick a number two in terms of snap percentage, it feels like Lazard will be that bona fide guy. 
What I mean, you probably the answer is I don't know probably, but what are they doing with Corey Davis? What is the plan with Corey Davis? Who his bags seemed packed from the Jets and yeah. kind of like uh, on a much smaller scale, but kind of almost like a Jimmy Garoppolo situation where it seemed like ever both sides had kind of mentally moved on, but now he's back and they've said he's going to be on the team. Is any sense that he could be like an offensive factor, like someone who maybe catches sixty or seventy passes, or just a guy who's going to be part of the mix, going to do what he can? And does he, any sense there's going to be like major contributions in the stat sheet from Corey Davis? It's fascinating, right? Because you're right. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was saying goodbyes. Like that's that's where this was at. That he thought he'd be a cap casualty. Um, maybe they rework his contract in this final year because I don't really know what his options are going to be by the end of the summer. I think part of it was this too. One, while the staff's always really like Corey Davis, he, he's generated a lot of respect there. He walked into a situation when he was signed two years ago where he's not a number one and he was signed to be a number one on a team that didn't have a number one by default. It actually reminds me a little bit, and this is way too much of an exaggeration, but the Jets did this with Eric Decker many years ago, and Decker came in the first year, and it was kind of like, whatever. And then they got a number one in Brandon Marshall the next year, and everybody liked Decker as a number two option. for. So I kind of wonder, can Corey Davis, with Garrett Wilson being established, Lazard being here, can Corey Davis kind of trickle down into this somewhere in between a number two and number three and find a legitimate possession role? I, I don't see why not. It's, it seems like Rodgers really likes him. I, I've heard Rodgers, you know, kind of respected his game before he even got to New York. So maybe that played into it too, where they were going to move on from a cap standpoint. And Rodgers is like, let's keep the depth at the position. You know, and another thing to believe in with them, with Corey Davis right now is they really weren't in on DeAndre Hopkins. Like there's been available veterans that could be viewed as big time, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a big land anymore, but it felt like people cared about where DeAndre Hopkins went and the Jets never even went down that road. So it tells you that Corey Davis will probably be on this team, barring something unexpected, and that Corey Davis will have a role on this team because, once again, they're a team that when they go to 11 personnel, yes, they like Nicole Hardman's speed, they like Lazard's size, but Corey Davis has a little bit more polish as a route runner than both of those guys, and we've seen Rodgers defer to guys like that in the past. Not to be totally narrative-based, but too, it is by far the best quarterback that Corey Davis has ever played with. He got a great good point. year or two out of Ryan Tannehill. Never played with anyone like Aaron Rodgers. It's a great point. A, a, yeah. a motivated Rodgers. Yeah. Uh, uh, Connor, I wanted to shift over to the Jets' uh, backfield real quick, and obviously a lot of intrigue around Brees Hall's uh, recovery from his knee injury last year and uh, how things are going there. I know uh, we have a running joke about Robert Sala constantly updating us on the GPS yeah. numbers uh, for Brees Hall. To, so we, we know how, how fast he's running. He's running fast. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what is the feel around his health? And, and then second, like, why, why have the Jets pursued Dalvin Cook uh, so vigorously over the past few weeks? It's really interesting, right? I've, I've been trying to get a read on the Cook situation. I'll start there before we get to Breeze because okay. this is this is definitely one that is so hard to figure out. I usually have a good read on on the Jets side of things and or the player side of things. And with Cook, a lot of people do believe that he wants to play in Miami, and that's very believable when you think of where Dalvin Cook's from, where he's at in his career, how a lot of those guys from Florida – you know, tend to go on the back half of their career. And I know Cook's not like in his 30s, but let's be real of where he's at physically right now yeah. for a running back, right? So 
I think for the Jets side of things, yeah, they brought him in for the visit. He watched practice. Robert Sal has spoken really highly of him in press conferences. But I wonder if that's actually correlating to what they're thinking of financially, because it feels like if they put down any bit of a respectable offer with where Cook's market is at right now, you would think he would have taken it by now. So I think the Jets look at it like this. This ties in the Brees Hall conversation. They want to be very careful with Hall because they think they are going to be playing meaningful games in November, December, and January. And that's when you'd like your best running back to be coming off injury to be up to speed. Where I don't think they want to go into September, Monday Night Football against the Bills and beyond, whether it's Dallas game all the way to the Denver game week five. And they got to hand Brees Hall the ball and counting targets, you know, 25 touches a game. They don't want to do that. So the Jets have been trying to figure out in camp do we need to bring in a veteran to supplement Hall's ramp-up period? Or is there a guy on this roster that can fill that role? Because is supplementing Brees Hall's first six weeks of the season, is that something you need to spend $8 million on? I, I don't know. I feel like that's a little <laughs> bit ridiculous. It's so it's, it's a lot, lot. of money. Um, and it feels like in recent days, or I should say the last week, it's Bam Knight. That's the guy that is kind of coming out of the shadows again and maybe being the guy if Dalvin Cook really isn't going to end up in New York because Michael Carter has dealt with injuries. He didn't look good last year. He's, he's a very small running back. I don't know what the status is of, uh, of his favorability with the coaching staff right now. They didn't dress him or Bam in the Hall of Fame game, which is very interesting. They did dress Abanacanda, but they need to see Abanacanda play. He's a fifth-round 20-year-old rookie um, he's very raw, but he's got an incredible athletic profile. I don't know how much Amanda Canada is going to factor into this backfield out of the gate because he's just got such a long ways to go. But there's been some nice early returns from him. And it feels like they are at the crossroads of do we need a vet or can we rely on Bam Knight while Brees is getting up to speed? While they're also publicly saying Brees Hall is going to be ready to roll week one. I think that quote could be taken a lot of ways. Do I think he's Brees Hall we saw last year at his peak? I don't even think he'd be close. I don't think you'd want him to be close to that. I think that's a little ridiculous and dangerous for a young player. So it's very hard to get a read on. I think Cook probably is facing the harsh reality that a lot of these guys are. There's no money out there for them. The teams that have the cap space, they just don't even care. They're not offering any money out there. So I don't know where this Cook situation goes. It feels like both sides publicly have built each other up that it should have been done by now. And it just leaves you wondering if there's going to actually be a conclusion here, unless cook has no interest in training camp. That's the, that's the only other reason I can think of. And, <laughs> and if that's the reason I would be a little bit more cautious on the jets. Cause I need Dalvin cook week one, not week nine. Yes. I was going to ask you who was looking like the number two running back was, if it's not, if Dalvin cook is not on this roster and, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that it's Bam Knight just after the way he kind of seized that role last year. And this Michael Carter, like you said, just under two coaching staffs now, it hasn't really yeah. worked out. Ineffective. I, I did not, I had to, I had to double check. I did not know Izzy Abanacanda was only 20 years old. You are correct. He is only 20, which is crazy. Uh, it's yeah. very young to be on an NFL roster. But before we let you go, Connor, I mean, have you seen anything that has surprised you so far in Jets camp? And the answer could be no. Uh, maybe who has been the most impressive player not named Aaron Rodgers or not named Garrett Wilson? That's a good one. I'll give like one, maybe one thing to be pessimistic about and one thing to maybe be optimistic about. I would say the pessimism is that the, or the frustration is probably the offensive line situation that 
they just don't seem ready to thrust Makai Becton into a starting role as much as he's maybe the most talented tackle on the team, right? He's a better player than Max Mitchell um, and Billy Turner. And I don't know if it's getting him in a place physically and mentally. He played seven snaps in the Hall of Fame game. He, he kind of hinted that his knee was bothering him. I thought he looked really good on tape. So it feels like a longevity issue, not a talent issue. So I think that's something where you look at it and go, man, if Becton just doesn't give them anything this year, the ceiling of this offensive line is very limited. And and that's, of course, a, a concern when you have an old quarterback and you have a team that you know yeah. wants to run the ball to close out games. So that's something I'm keeping my eye on of where this plays out the next couple of weeks that really matters a lot in my eyes. And then when you look at, you know, maybe something more optimistic, their pass rush stable is just it's ridiculous. And the fact the Hall of Fame game kind of opened everyone's eyes to it, right? They're not going to play Carl Lawson. They barely played Jermaine Johnson. Um, they're not going to play John Franklin Myers and, and of course, Quinnen on the interior. I mean, they have Bryce Huff and Will McDonald out there in the Hall of Fame game just eating tackles alive. And you look at that, that's something to be optimistic about that they have. They're, they're pretty much too deep at every single position on the defensive line and in some areas three deep. And I think, you know, the whole storyline with the Jets is about Aaron Rodgers and can this offense finally be explosive? And I think there's going to come a point in the season where the Jets really need their defense to steal them a couple of games. And there's nothing wrong with that during the regular season. And I think they've built a front seven that is that has the talent level and the depth level to do that. Uh, pro football focus, by the way, graded uh, the Jets pass rush as the third best in the league last year. So, uh, you know, it could be even better in 2023. Yeah, they used the fir- another first rounder on it this year. Right. They just they don't double down. They triple down on this group <laughs> like no other. It's an obsession. But you know what? Uh, after they literally had no one to rush the passer for about ten years, it was like since John Abraham. It's it's probably a good pivot. Connor, excellent stuff on the Jets. Excellent stuff on everything on the yeah. fantasy football happy hour with Matthew Barry, which is going to be daily at noon live on Peacock beginning next week. I believe also you can find it on YouTube. Uh, really, really good stuff all the time there with Matthew. Anything else you want to get out in the world? Or I mean, that that, that is a lot. But just what you, what you got yeah. going on? And uh, yeah, get the Royal World Draft Guide. I mean, True. Come on. What else you have said? I, I feel like I True. say this in my sleep at this point. Barry has Barry has a running joke. There, so there's the promo code Barry twenty to get twenty percent off. And his his new gag this year is that you could use Connor five or Connor ten for five or ten percent off. Like, <laughs> you don't want to save as much so i guess i'll I'll promote my own fake promo code on the podcast but uh i I really appreciated you know you guys let me get in on the fun with that i thought it came out awesome it's always good to catch up with you guys i appreciate you having me yeah connor Connor, in the draft guide and again every day noon on peacock the fantasy football happy hour with matthew barry connor thank you so much for taking the time see you guys thanks again we'll see you you soon i'm sure that's it for connor now it that is also, that's not a good segue. That's, uh, not, that's not also it for not, Phil. Not also it. It's Phil Perry <laughs> NBC Sports Boston. He's here to talk the New England Patriots, but he, also Phil talks some of the Boston Red Sox. I know it's kind of a kind of a rough weekend for those old Sox. I heard really rough. I think the season's over now. I it think is. they officially raised the white flag, so uh, <laughs> now all eyes will be focused on Patriots training camp. As if they're not already though. This right. is this is. <laughs> And it's say, a Red is Sox that, town, but really the Patriots are are number one and have been for a while. I wonder if the Patriots really want all eyes focused on Pat's camp. You know, they're trying to work through some stuff. And I'll ask you just with with an easy question off the bat, kind of a 
a zooming out question, just how does the Patriots offense look with an actual offensive coordinator Maybe. this year? And I, I asked that tongue in cheek, but also like quite seriously, where the issues were so well documented last year, things as simple as just getting the play in were not happening deep into the season. How is the Pats offensive operation running with Bill O'Brien back in the fold? So that's stuff. The fundamental get the play in, get lined up, don't jump off sides every three snaps kind of stuff is so vastly improved this year. It's not even funny. I mean, it's a professional operation. It's a competent operation. They have enough in the way of veterans who understand what to do in the huddle when they get to the line of scrimmage. I was I was wondering how well Juju Smith-Schuster and some of these other newer players would be able to pick things up because the whole reason or one of the reasons they tried to change the language of the offense last year, that was what made last year so wild, was not only – did they have Matt Patricia coaching the offensive line and trying to coordinate the offense, two things he had never done before, but they were also trying to change the entirety of the playbook on the fly from what they had done the year before with a lot of the same players who handled it just fine in 2021. Now it feels like they're going back to a lot of that stuff that they were doing with Josh McDaniels. Obviously Bill O'Brien has a lot of familiarity with that language, with that scheme, that old Patriot scheme. So it looks much, much better, but I will say this, if they don't get, five professional offensive linemen to run this offense, uh, the results, even if they are on their P's and Q's as far as penalties and substitutions go, uh, it's not really going to matter all that much because right now the starting tackles are Connor McDermott and Riley Reef, And that's not going to be enough. I was just hearing some of your conversation with Connor about the Jets pass rush. I mean, I'm thinking about Jalen yeah. Phillips coming off the edge down in Miami, everything that they can throw at you in New York and then Von Miller, whenever he gets back on the field for Buffalo, I mean, these guys are going to have a really hard time blocking any top tier pass rushers from what I've seen this summer. But Phil, can you guarantee us that we'll see a little less screaming from Mac Jones? (laughs) (laughs) That's one thing I want to know. I don't know if I could guarantee that. That's what I really am. I really truly am fascinated to see how those two personalities mesh because Bill O'Brien was nicknamed the teapot because he was <laughs> boiling over so frequently during his first stint here with the Patriots. And there was that very famous clip, at least locally here, uh, with Bill O'Brien screaming at Tom Brady and the two of them going at it on the <laughs> sidelines in Washington you know, about right. 10 years or so ago now. So you know, how is that going to look when it's not going well? I mean, things are going relatively well right now. But again, when the red non-contact jersey is off Mac Jones and he's under pressure on every snap and he's running for his life as he was today out of practice of just getting off the practice field here at Gillette Stadium, how do they mesh then? Because (laughs) I I think both of these guys are very comfortable letting their emotions show on the sideline. So we may get some of that still this year, Denny. I, I okay, good because I, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> As outsiders, we do we enjoy it. Together. Yeah, it's yeah. it's entertaining. All right, we're gonna shift over to the receiving room here uh, for the Patriots. It's been really hard for fantasy managers to kind of decode what's going on with New England receivers. I mean, always really, but you know, particularly this off season. Uh, I'm guessing the recently extended Devonte Parker is going to be a part of three receiver sets, even two receiver sets here in New England. Uh, who else? Uh, f- fill us in on who else is going to take those every uh, every down snaps uh, at receiver in this offense. Well, I do think we're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. So you're going to have a lot of Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki on the field. But okay. then the the two clear top guys at receiver for me are Devontae Parker and Juju Smith-Schuster. Those are the guys that are out there just about every rep with Mac Jones. And again, you're getting a decent amount of 12 personnel. So Hunter Henry and Mike Kosicki. When Kosicki comes off, right now it looks like Kendrick Bourne 
who's been the number three. But yeah. I would say that spot is pretty fluid. I, I don't think they've necessarily committed all that much in the way uh, in terms of reps to Kendrick Bourne. They're not building this offense around Kendrick Bourne by any means. Tyquan Thornton, I think they would love to see show out, but he has been a absolute non-factor in camp, which I think is one of the most disappointing aspects of camp for the Patriots thus far, because he really brings that one element to their offense that they don't have, which is speed. I mean, they have a lot of big-bodied, contested catch guys. They would love to have someone who can make life a little bit easier on everyone else because you have to acknowledge him in the deep part of the field. That should be Tyquan Thornton, but he's missed some time injured. He missed time back in the spring injured. He hasn't done anything with the opportunities that he's gotten in the way of targets from Mac Jones. Rookie Pop Douglas out of Liberty, who's a six-round pick, is actually, I think, pushing Tyquan Thornton for a role in this offense as the number four guy. So to me right now, it looks like Parker, who's there down the field, jump ball, contested catch threat, which he was last year. I don't see that changing much. Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, just slides right into that Jacoby Myers role. And so if you're in a PPR league, if you're a fantasy manager there, that's the guy that I would want. Um, I wouldn't sleep on Hunter Henry. To me, Hunter Henry is a guy, and and I'll admit that I have, you know, when we look at their roster, we say, okay, who, who on this roster is even like a top 10 player at his position? I think Hunter Henry deserves to be in that conversation for tight ends. I'm not necessarily you know, thinking that he's going to be pushing any of the top three or four guys in fantasy football in terms of points scored this year at that tight end spot. But that's a spot that has been, you know, you guys would know better than me in terms of the outlook, the overall outlook right now this year. But as a fantasy player myself, that's a spot where I'm always just looking to plug holes. And I do think Hunter Henry could be a serviceable week-to-week option in this offense. He has, especially in the red zone, he clearly, to me, has Mac Jones' trust. That's what I was going to ask you about Hunter Henry because like you say he's going to be more of like a streamer at tight end in fantasy, but it didn't make sense to me last year that he didn't score more touchdowns. And at least to the, an outside perspective, he didn't seem like an emphasis in the red zone. Maybe he was, and the Patriots offense was just so dysfunctional. Like as a fantasy guy, I just couldn't detect that. But I was going to ask, at the very least, is Hunter Henry going to be the go-to guy in the red zone of this offense? Because why else would you sign Hunter Henry You know, if that wasn't the plan for him? And so you said it's seeming like Hunter Henry's going to at least maybe get his looks inside the 20. He should. He should. Now, the thing that's working against him is they are, they're, they're built like a basketball team. So, you know, he's not the only guy that you would characterize as a red zone threat. You know, Devontae Parker fades to the back corner are going to be part of their offense. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be out there. Another big body guy that they're not afraid to throw to when somebody is on his back. Uh, but I would say when it comes to just that chemistry and that understanding of, okay, My guy, Hunter Henry, has leverage on his defender. It really doesn't matter where that guy is. If I put it in a certain spot, he's going to come down with it. It feels like he has that with Henry more than any of these other receivers. Again, I don't know if he's going to be a dependable, you know, you just plug him in and you forget about it every single week. But he's going to get those looks. And so I'd feel pretty good about, okay, at least he'll have an opportunity this week in the red zone. They were the worst red zone offense in football last year. That's scandalous. (laughs) <laughs> of all of the dysfunctional things about the 2022 Patriots offense, that might have been the most dysfunctional aspect of their attack. So Hunter Henry in the red zone should be more of a factor this year, I'm thinking. That was where I most frequently saw the screams of Mac Jones yes. in the sideline. I was never even entirely sure who he was screaming at. I guess probably probably not Bill Belichick. I mean, I think I, I think I hate to I hate to harp on the screaming, but I think basically Mac Jones was was crying out for help. You know, he was he just, he just, almost he literally. Wanted, he just wanted a little help. Please, somebody on the sideline, help me out. That's what he was saying. He wanted answers too, right? I mean, I think that's going to be the biggest benefit of Bill O'Brien is 
when we're out there watching him coach during training camp, you're seeing him fill the space between snaps, between periods mm-hmm. with coaching. You know, that's something we didn't see last year. Hey, if you get this leverage with this look, we're going to do X, Y, or Z. When we're running these back shoulder throws into the front corner of the end zone or the back corner of the end zone, you know, it's going to be here versus down here, depending on the situation. There's all these little teaching points that he has gathered over more than two decades coaching offense that they weren't getting last year. And Mac Jones was coming to them and others in that offense were coming to Joe Judge, Matt Patricia with questions and not getting the answer. So there's a lot of confidence, I would say, that should lift the entire operation on that side of the ball just by making them all feel a little bit better about how their roles fit into the overall big picture of their offense, of their attack, of their scheme week to week. And and I think you're already seeing that confidence show out on the practice field. Again, if they can't block, they're really in trouble because they just, they don't have quarterbacks, whether it's Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, who can move around all that well in the pocket, outside the pocket and make plays off script. They just, they have to do it as it's drawn up. And if it's McDermott and Reef out there as your starters, Trent Brown's been sort of lingering in the background for weeks here, it feels like. Uh, but if it's those two guys that are trying to protect you on the outside, it's not going to go well. Seems like it was smart to hire an actual offensive coordinator is yeah. one of the things you're that saying. Should that should help. Because, again, if you do have to coach around those tackles, there are things you can do. I, I don't know if they had the ability to do that really last year. Um, now we'll see. And we've already seen it, you know. They're going to kill you with screens. They're going to kill you with draws and that type of stuff. I, this is not going to be a very fantasy-friendly offense, guys, in my opinion. You know, <laughs> like, like I said, if I had to pick one guy, Ramondre Stevenson it would be number one with a bullet. But then in the passing game, it probably would be Juju just because I think he's going to get a lot of targets. Denny's going to ask about the running game in just a second. And by the way, we have so many questions of the receiver core that it's easy for fantasy managers not to even think about the offensive line, which we're going to continue not to. I'm just going to pretend you said the offensive line is fine. And uh, <laughs> just two quick follow-ups to the receiver yeah. core. It, there's been a lot of, like, I, yeah, I would say negative hype on Tyquan Thornton. So it was discouraging to hear you kind of confirm that, that he just has not looked good in training camp. And just maybe what has been the biggest issue with Tyquan Thornton? And with Juju – is there any sense that they're managing his knee or his health? That was an early summer storyline that I haven't really seen anything about in training camp. Just what has gone so wrong with Taekwon and how does Juju's knee look? So for Taekwon, it's it's staying on the field. I mean, he missed the first part of last year. Basically, the first pro tackle that he absorbed in preseason, he broke, which was, you know, for everyone who saw that pick in the second round and thought it was a reach, and they saw this guy who was six foot two, 180 pounds, and and built like a tree branch. You know, you said, okay, well, yeah, who who could have seen this coming? Someone tackled him and he broke his collarbone. But when he got back out there, they played him a lot. He just never really fully picked up the offense, it felt like. Even late in the season, you could see confusion. And again, you could chalk this up to coaching, but you could see confusion when it came to, okay, what route was he supposed to run here? And why are he and Mac on clearly different pages in given situations? So this summer you thought, okay, better coach better understanding of the pro game of their offense specifically. And we just haven't seen it come together again. He missed time in the spring. He's he missed time last week in training camp. He's dealt with some soft tissue stuff. And I just, I hate to see that really fast guy with soft tissue issues. Like we've seen it before. Those things tend to linger. They pop up randomly, sporadically, especially in fantasy football. You don't want to be that guy who's looking at Tyquan Thornton, who's, you know, been limited all week in practice with a hamstring and you're wondering if they're actually going to play him or not. 
So that to me has been issue number one. But when he has been out there, um, he hasn't really shown that speed. We haven't seen all that many deep targets for him. He had one yesterday that was broken up deep down the field. They've thrown it to him a little bit in the red zone. Again, he's a taller guy, so he should be a, a decent red zone threat. He's pretty coordinated. He's obviously a great athlete, but he hasn't been able to come up with much down there either. It feels like he does get bodied a little bit by some of these Patriots corners who are physical guys. So uh, again, I'm not sure I would trust him unless it's a very late round pick and you're sort of taking a flyer on the fact that they're eventually going to need this deep threat. He's going to be on the roster. He's a second round pick a couple of years ago. Bill Belichick is invested in making this work out. So maybe you take a flyer on him in that instance, but he really hasn't shown us anything. And then as far as Juju goes, he looks healthy, guys. It, they really haven't managed him at all. He didn't participate at all in the spring, but it felt like once he got back for training camp, it was all systems go, and that's how it's looked out on the field. That's good Good to hear for, for Juju, who obviously has struggled with injuries over the years. Uh, shifting to the New England backfield, obviously you said Ramondre Stevenson would be your number one Patriots uh, fantasy pick uh, by far and and that makes a lot of sense Ramondre is much sought after uh especially in PPR uh formats last year he was third in the entire league in running back targets um was very efficient with those targets uh I've read that you know the Bill O'Brien offense uh can and and often has run through dump offs to the running backs and the tight ends near the line of scrimmage do you think that's that's a, a main part of the Patriots offense this season I do. And, and honestly, if you're a Ramondre Stevenson fantasy owner, if you're if you have him in Dynasty, if you haven't, I think he has a good chance to even surpass that number of targets that he had last year. If the offensive line continues to remain, if, if it's an issue, that's all they're going to do. It's okay. all they're going to have time to do. You know, right. he's going to be such a huge part of this offense regardless. But if there's any kind of question, especially at that right tackle spot, I think we're assuming Trent Brown will be out there at left tackle, though. Anytime you assume anything with Trent Brown, that's um, yeah, that's or the Patriots. A fool's, that's a fool's errand, <laughs> you know. So take yeah, that with a grain of salt. But uh, if they're having trouble protecting, it's going to be a lot of screens. They've they've worked on screens excessively, in my opinion, during training camp. But again, that's good news for Ramondre Stevenson. The number of targets he's going to get. I, I thought he had a great year last year. Obviously, fantasy wise, he had a great year. And the offensive line was wasn't all that good last year either. You know, even run blocking, it surprised me at just how efficient they were. Given the great year that Stevenson had as an individual running the football, they were still, I believe, 24th in EPA per play running the football last year. That just does not sound like a classic Patriots offense. We know, again, there was a lot going on last year that made it not a classic Patriots offense. But if they can get a little bit more efficient running the football and still give them all those targets, I think he's going to be an even bigger factor fantasy-wise in 2023. We like to hear that, Phil. And and, uh, getting further into the backfield – is there anyone shaping up uh, behind Stevenson as a clear-cut RB2 who would take on the primary lead, the lead-back role if Stevenson missed time? Because building on Denny's question too real quick, they've been working out all these veterans. Like yeah. It seems like they really want to add a 1B. You think they are going to add someone, and yeah, if they don't, who, who is it going to be on the current roster? I think they will. I think they almost have to. You know, The one thing about Stevenson's year last year was toward the tail end of it, he ran out of gas. And he basically admitted it at times late last season. He was a little bit banged up. He had obviously received a ton of touches. And so he was gassed by the end of last season. So they need someone to just help him maintain so that when they do get to December or January, if they are somehow in the middle of a playoff run or in the in the thick of a play, uh, hunting for a playoff spot, 
you know, you have Ramondre Stevenson at his best. So I do think they might add someone. If they don't, it's Kevin Harris to me. So Kevin Harris is the bigger body between the tackle guys that would fill into that Damian Harris kind of role. Um, Not going to be a factor on third down, in my opinion. So Stevenson. We don't want that anyway. We don't. No, I mean, that's exactly. I I don't. (laughs) I don't think they really have a viable, consistent option behind Stevenson. So again, if you're a Stevenson owner, more good news for you. Like they, they've got very, to give him the rock news. and give it to him a bunch. And as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to produce. But he's the one who looks like the second tier between the tackles runner. Uh, Pierre Strong, I thought, might make a push for that old James White role. I, I would not say anything that we've seen from him in training camp thus far would be indicative of that. Ty Montgomery was sort of in the running for the same type of third down back role that we've seen here in New England forever, but he's been injured for the majority of training camp to this point. And we know that's a, that's been a problem with him for the last few years now. So it's looking like all the Ramondre Stevenson you can handle in the Patriots backfield because they, they just don't have much else. Now the picture changes, obviously. If they add a Zeke or Dalvin Cook still floating around, then it gets a little scary because – Bill Belichick is the kind of guy who would be using one of those two guys on the goal line and vulturing all those scores from, you know, your first round pick potentially in yeah. Andre Stevenson. That would be very, very problematic. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we is he a first just, round pick? I should ask you guys, is he a, is he a first round guy in your mind or is he more of a second round, even maybe second, later than that? It's second yeah. round. He's not really making it into the first, but he's, he's like a, a upside second rounder. Um, okay. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe even a little lower than that. He's basically going after, uh, you know, Eckler, McCaffrey, uh, Saquon. I think he's falling into the third round in some drafts. I think maybe partly due to the uncertainty where the Patriots, like, wow, the Patriots are working out, uh, you know, Eric Dickerson. Right. Uh, Working at every veteran (laughs) running back there is on the market. Leonard Fournette could be on the roster by the time we're done with this conversation. I know. That's what I'm saying. And then it all changes. It's like, wait, Leonard Fournette, you know, that guy could catch 50 passes. And then uh, Ramondre Stevenson's value goes in the tank. But we're we're hoping that doesn't happen for all the Stevenson supporters out there. Yeah, Phil, you're going to sign off from our pod and have a text like, Fournette's here. He's signing. (laughs) I wish I had said a few different things. I will let you guys know. If that happens, I'll let you know. Let us know. Phil, lots of really, really good stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know you're extremely busy over at Patriots Camp. Still, people, really quick, where they can find you, where, what your handle might be on Twitter, that kind of thing. Yep. On Twitter, at Phil A. Perry. You can find all of our stuff there, all of our written works on NBC Sports Boston. We have uh, the Patriots Talk podcast that Tom Curran and I do twice a week. Uh, we'll have one of those out tomorrow. We will have a next Pats podcast where, generally speaking, we focus on some of those younger players. So if you're looking for some some Patriots sleepers, again, all the Pop Douglas talk you can handle. <laughs> Pop Douglas out of Liberty. I don't even know he's like nicknamed classic. That classic <laughs> Patriot. First of all, yes, great name, Pop Douglas. Second of all, he's that he's that Patriot slot. He's Troy Brown, you know, Wes Welker, Julian. He's <laughs> built that way. I'm not saying yes. he'll be those guys, but that's how he's built. He's had a great camp. Uh, so we're talking about those guys on next Pats uh, and having a lot of fun. So at Phil A. Perry, hopefully we'll see you there. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, Phil, Thanks, thank guys. you so much for taking the time. Um, thank you to Connor Rogers for also taking time. Thank you to Denny Carter for taking <laughs> the time. Oh, sorry, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's say mission accomplished today. We previewed the AFC East. Danny, how do you feel? I feel great. I feel like I can't not draft Ramondre Stevenson in some places right I now. Know. Well, it is interesting that Demario Douglas, apparently nicknamed Pop, did not know that. 
Hype building, that can't be a good sign for Tyquan Thornton. Uh, no, no. And it sounds like I've, I, I didn't get a chance to ask Phil, but I wanted to ask, how much dog does Pop Douglas have in his It's got to be uncontainable <laughs> levels of dogs. Unbelievable so, dog levels. Un, un, off the charts yeah. dog levels. So for Connor Rogers, for Phil Perry, for Denny Carter, I am Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening as we preview the AFC East. We'll be back on Thursday to wrap up our preview series with the NFC East. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.